Hello and welcome to Eurocast. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Ilan Pato. He was the COSOC VP last year. Uh, and you might only be hearing my voice in this one because Julian is currently in Eurosports. So for me, for this episode, it will just be me. So Ilan, how are you? Good. Um, I mean, I'm currently, you know, in Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal, studying international relations in the University of Lisbon. Mm-hmm. Okay, and tell and, us a bit about yourself and your history at the European schools. Right, so I, I'm a EB1 guy. I've practically studied there all my life, straight kindergarten through S7. Um, towards end of S5, I got kind of involved in the CD. Uh, I ran locally in S6, won presidency there, did some stuff. And then S7, uh, I, I went to COSUP because something happened in COSUP in which there weren't enough actual COSO preps who wanted to be candidates for president. And so Arturo, then president of COSO, he said, okay, if the CD presidents want to run, that's, or VPs want to run, that's perfectly fine. Uh, because even though it's technically against the statutes, there was nobody else to run. Mm-hmm. So they needed to do that. And that's what we call a derogation uh, in the case of something like force major. So it's technically still justified. And so me uh, and Hugo and Elizabeth, we all ended up running. Elizabeth from Frankfurt was the only uh, actual coastal prep that ran. And so we were a smashing team, Elizabeth and me as VPs and Hugo Galstad from Lux One, um, who was the president, who used to be former vice president of the city there. Okay, so before we get into specifics, uh, before this interview, I was asking around my classmates and I was asking them, so... Do you know what COSUP is? What do you think about COSUP? And I'm, I'm sad to say that very few people actually know what COSUP means and what COSUP is. So would you mind giving a brief description? Sure. Um, but first, I'd like to comment on the, this issue, the fact that a lot of people don't know what COSUP is. It's a very systematic one. It's something that we've been talking about in and around COSUP for ages. I remember mm-hmm. even before I was in COSUP in S6, I, I went to one meeting as a guest just to watch and it's on the agenda every meeting trust me um the problem we have is getting the message out there because it's not easy to communicate something that you know that's as complex course up and the work that they do um simply but over the last few years i think there has been an improvement in this because you know through social media more followers on course instagram through your local cds they should be talking a lot more about course and through initiatives like COSUP Gaming, which they might not have heard of COSUP, but they've almost certainly heard about the European School Tournament, mm-hmm. and it's called COSUP Gaming. And then they might start asking themselves, well, what is COSUP? So what is COSUP? COSUP is an acronym that stands for Conseil Supérieur des Élèves. We use the French for abbreviation, but we, we you know, just call it COSUP. And it's where two representatives from every school, so two delegates who get elected usually by the CDE, but in the near future, it'll be elected in a general election by everyone in your school. Um, But that's only in the near future. Uh, They get elected and sent to meetings, essentially. Usually these meetings take place in situ um, in either Brussels or Luxembourg. And there, the delegates talk about all the issues affecting the students at the highest level. So essentially things like a syllabus, syllabus that's not right. Maybe they might even talk about a bit about Eurosport, what could be better in Eurosport. Um, increasing the number of psychologists in all schools, making projects like of Gaming happen or Euronite. That's where all of the high level talks regarding that go on and the issues that affects 
all the students. Mm -hmm. um, and it's directly opposed to what your CD presidents do, in which they represent you at the local level, because there's the highest level in the European school system. We have a series of like boards, essentially, such as the Joint Teaching Committee, the Budgetary Committee, or the Board of Governors, where all decisions that affects all of us get taken. And essentially what COSOP does is it meets with all the delegates and then they come to a consensus on the issues at hand. So be it a new syllabus, uh, a new series of rules uh, or statutes. And then one or two members of COSOP, usually the vice president or the president, and, or occasionally one of the reps as well, go to those boards and they represent you based off what was agreed or the consensus that was uh, you know, gotten in COSOP. Mm -hmm. amongst all the delegates um but going back to what i said earlier this is opposed to what your presidents do which is they represent you locally so you're not going to see your city president talking about syllabuses no they, mm -hmm. they're focused on making change locally and also on the boards that can actually make change locally so locally every school is going to have its administrative board which is the most powerful decision making board and it's um probably what's it called um educational council or it's uh, also this the uh sorry I forgot. oh yeah the security and hygiene council every school has these local boards where your local city will be representing you not your coastal preps so there's a distinct there's a big distinction in between your coastal preps and your city mm -hmm. okay we'll link uh, an article by 13 stars in the description of this episode which gives a really detailed description of uh, pretty much what Ilan just said. Uh, so before we get to your history at COSUP, let's start. We did some research and found on your LinkedIn that you were also president of the student council. So let's just start with that. Uh, one really staggering thing that I found was you were able to reduce the Brussels One school emissions by 22 tons by installing solar panels. How did you manage to do this? This was actually a pure, like, it's something that just came out of the, like, the sky, and I had no idea um, how uh, essentially it happened, but I'll, I'll tell you. So this is, it happened, it happened very quickly as well. So um, one, one of my, you know, points on my platform when I was running for, you know, presidency there, it was doing something, quote unquote, green. Um, to be completely honest, we put that there because we had the, all the intentions to do that, but we didn't know what exactly we could do. We, we looked into it, everything looked very complicated. But um, anyways, I got invited or asked to be present along with my COSOF reps in one of the COSOF meetings that was going to happen in uh, EB2. And so I went there, went along, this was the, in, in early November. Um, and there I happened to meet a COSA prep from EB3, a lovely girl, I think it's called Delphine. I'm not exactly sure. I'm a bit foggy on her name. But anyways, in what I knew is was that in EB3, they had installed a huge amount of solar panels recently and apparently for not much uh, you know, effort from their part. And so I asked her about it and she told me about an initiative called Sun for Schools which operated uh, in Belgium. And so I researched this organization and I found that Sunfer Schools, they, in short, they installed solar panels for free in schools in Brussels. Um, uh, well, and all you had to do was basically sign up. So I, I made a quick like white, white sheet for my director with all the key points that he mm -hmm. needed to know 
I rushed to meet with my director afterwards. I was like, this is fantastic. We should sign up. Negotiated a little bit. And he was like, he realized how great this was. And essentially he signed on to it uh, end of November. He didn't sign a contract. What he basically did was he went to the website, contacted them and said, we were interested. Um, and before we knew it, they were meeting, and I think it was already in January, uh, to do some like research and do some studies of which air buildings would support or not support solar panels in our school. And by, I think it was by February, contract was already signed. And in something very uncharacteristic of the European schools, um, by April, by April, they were all installed. So from November to April, it might seem like a huge amount of time, but to get no, something... No, that's incredible. Um, I mean, often was, administration can be a bit unwilling to make changes. So that's... Oh, admin loved this idea. They were all over it. Wow, um, yeah. And also the organization, the Sun for Schools organization, they were very cooperative um, and it moved very quick. And I think uh, one of the reasons this was enabled to move so quick is because essentially the school doesn't pay a dime. What The way it works... Oh, and also the uh, the Belgian government, they gave us authorization very quickly. As uh, for those of you who don't know, the schools are not uh, actual property of the European schools, they're all property of the states in which they're in. So for example, the European School of Frankfurt is owned by the German government or the, re the Frankfurt regional government. Mm -hmm. So if you want to build a building on it, if you want to take down a building, you need to ask authorization from them. And so we had to ask authorization from the Belgian government and usually the organization from the Belgian government, which runs this kind of stuff called the Régie des Bâtiments, they take months and months to reply. But um, this time they got back to us in weeks and uh, they approved it, they approved the project. And so it's thanks to that and, you know, the efforts from my director, myself, we managed to get it done so quickly. Um, but in short, the way the project works was that they would do a study of your school, see where they can install solar panels, then they do an analysis of your like energy budgets. So it's essentially how much you spend on energy every year. And the, they then install the solar panels and you get all the energy from them for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But the way it works is since you're going to make savings with them, of course, you're going to spend less money for energy. They need somebody to pay back the solar panels. So what they do is they take a cut of the money you save. So let's say you're spending 100,000 and now you're spending 80,000. They might take half of the money you're saving, so 10,000, to pay back what they spent to give you the solar panels, mm. but you still get savings. So essentially, you pay less money and you get solar panels, and you so you get to cut down on carbon emissions. It's a fantastic win win deal. And so they did the study, installed, I think, around 270 solar panels. We tried to push for installing solar panels on top of our Da Vinci, which is our science building. But the study concluded that uh, if any solar panels were installed there, the building would be at uh, structural risk. Oh. Which translating that into normal English, it means it would be risk at the risk of collapsing. Um, we love our good old fashioned buildings at everyone. And so, but anyways, we were very happy to have them installed there. And that was a, a huge win for me and Magnus, my BP, um, and for the school, of course, getting being able to reduce the emissions. That we were very happy with it. And still going strong? Oh, yes, the, the solar panels are going to be there for a minimum of 25 years because the organization, Sun for Schools, they give you a 25-year guarantee. So they, they maintain them, they clean them, whatever you need. If any of the solar panels breaks, they replace them for 25 years. 
Okay. Wow, that's really quite a deal. Um, you we also found out that within the student union at EEB One, you were managing kind of uh, 50 people. How did you manage? We ourselves are building up our own team uh, here at Eurocast. So uh, this is also relevant for us. How did you ensure communication within this union? Um, I mean, there's one very simple answer here, and it's we just all had a big WhatsApp group and then subdivided groups for, for every working right. group. But that's, that's not the end of it. It's, there's a bit more to that. Um, I, I imagine you took that from my LinkedIn, which is correct. In reality, we had around 80 people in the, in the uh, city or the student union, mm. but uh, a fair bit of them did nothing or wouldn't take initiative or um, even when we asked them to do something, they just wouldn't, wouldn't care. So I only put 50 because only around 50 people were actively something involved. Yeah. yeah. And the way we managed to do this is basically by delegating some amount of uh, authority to what we call the working group heads or the department heads. For example, there's a head of posters and arts, head of events, head of, um, head of I think it's called legal and well-being. And each of these heads have people working with them under them in separate groups and then reporting to them. And then eventually they report back to the presidency. That's how it was in, in our year. And so that's basically how we, we, we made it work. It's by delegated power structure. Um, which in hindsight, I could have delegated more because we, me and Magnus, we took a, a very active role and maybe some would say too active and we should delegate it more, but that's in short how we did it. Mm -hmm. And now moving on to your role as COSAP uh, VP, did you pretty much employ the same strategies uh, delegating work across the schools? Yeah, since it's a bit of a smaller organization, we're only 30 there. Mm -hmm. um, it was more on a case by case basis, for example, if we needed someone to fill in or to go and represent us at the, uh, I don't know, at the ecology working group, we, and we already have our plates full, we might put in the WhatsApp chat for COSA for teams, we use teams a lot. Um, hey, is there anyone who would like to, you know, go fill in for us at the ecology working group, and then it just first come first serves, because there's a lot of people that are willing to take initiative and great people, honestly. Um, so we'd always managed to find someone and we didn't have to delegate like uh, through, you know, the heads and so on as much, but there was also those structures. For example, we had a uh, head of public relations along with two deputy heads and they started meeting with the public relations departments of all the seat, local CDEs. So mm. your local CDE Frankfurt head would meet with them regularly to try and coordinate stuff to one, make your city's stuff more well-known, so to give ideas and share ideas, but two, to also coordinate the common PR strategy for all of COSAP. So that's something we just gave them the task and they went on, or some of them even did it on their own, improvised the, the heads and coordinated. And we didn't even have to do anything. It's just people who took such great initiatives that it ran without us saying much. Um, mm -hmm. So that's basically how the organization ran there. Same for the other departments or head of the environments, Robert Cormack. He did the same thing, met with all the green reps from all the CDs to push you know, the agenda there, how they can green the schools. And that's basically it. There is a, not, no, not much mystery there. And were you able to push this uh, solar panels project um, um, to, uh, towards other schools as well as COSAP VP? I did mention it, but there's one thing, the organization Sun for Schools, they only operate in Belgium. Um, and to my, uh, well, to my satisfaction, EB2 already has solar panels, I believe, 
EB3, they were the ones where it started. And EB4, mm -hmm. they took inspiration from us like the year we did it, I think, or they already mm -hmm. had it. But long story short, all of the Brussels schools already had solar panels by the time I, I was elected to Coastal PP. So, and I, since they didn't operate outside of, of Belgium, um, I'm not even sure they operate outside of Brussels. So, and Mall, I think they also have solar panels. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure though. Okay, uh, before the interview, uh, you mentioned the statutes and how maybe they are not the most exciting thing to talk about, but they're very important and relevant for the functionings of the school. So tell us a bit about that. Okay, so statutes are basically the laws for which you have to follow when you're either city president, city coordinator of a working group or city rep, or even same thing for COSA. And it's sacred because without laws, you just have people running around doing whatever the hell they want. So it's important for us to have a series of clear, even, even though it might not be fun to write these um, laws and statutes in place um, to make sure that there's no, you know, they can't just run around doing whatever they want. And there's a structure in place that tells people and gives people stability. And so they know what to expect uh, when it comes to their city in Tulsa. And this was something that we did in S7 actually during my course up here, a big change. A lot of the schools didn't have any statutes. So it basically meant the president got elected, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. You couldn't, you couldn't impeach them because mm. there's no statutes if they're really bad. Or you couldn't, there's no clear way of becoming this or that or organizing a city. In our year, we really pushed all the presidents to try and get a statute out. Uh, many took inspiration from EU1 or LOX1. And by the end of the year, every school had a statute, uh, as they do now. They've probably been updated by since then, because statutes go through multiple alterations, because, you know, they're never perfect. Um, sometimes there's a loophole or something missing or something that evolved and then needed to change. But in theory, all of your CDs and PCs, I mean, should by now have a publicly available statute. So if you go to your presidency and you ask them for a statute, they will have a statute and they should be able to give it to you. Okay, um, we also look specifically at these uh, sets of rules. Um, it also mentioned this vote of no confidence uh, in the COSAP uh, president or the VP. Has this ever happened in the history of COSAP? Okay, so impeachment or the vote of no confidence, that's basically what it is. Um, as a tradition, in every COSAP meeting, at the end of the meeting, we do one. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean there's necessity for one, we do one to ensure there's still running confidence in Kosovo. I don't know where the tradition originated, but it's been done all since I remember being in it like S6 and the one meeting I went, there's always one no confidence at the end. Um, so yes, we regularly, or they now in Kosovo, I'm no longer in Kosovo, they regularly do votes of no confidence. But as far as I know, and I, I'm, I get fuzzy about Kosovo history, like around 2005, there has never been a successful Kosovo uh, impeachment. Um, but I, I hope that's because there's never been a necessity, but there might have been before mm -hmm. 2006, seven. Kosovo was a different being. Okay. Um, would you say that a large part of um, COSUP is bringing the European schools together, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. Um, definitely that. And uh, when you were a VP, what sort of things do you do to ensure this goal? Well, for starters, we try to elicit feedback from all the schools and push every rep. Uh, to participate and to actively seek out feedback from their their you know classmates and their schoolmates um, about what needs to be changed in their in their school and also at the system level, 
Um, and we did something that's also a little different. We created a new organization or organ that's part of COSOP now called COT14P. It's short for Council of the 14 Presidencies just because before, the only people from the in between the schools who were reps who would meet were only the COSOP reps and they discussed only system issues. But we found it a bit strange that, you know, your city presidencies who were dealing with the same boards, the, all these administrative boards, and sometimes even the same problems at the local level of, I don't know, certain teachers doing unacceptable things or local policy on phones, for example, being absolutely outrageous. So we thought it was very strange that they were never meeting together and that the only way they were talking to each other was through COSA preps, which is very indirect. Um, so essentially the Council of the 14 Presidencies, which is chaired by one of the COSA presidency members and has the other 13 presidencies of the, Euro the European school CDEs or people's committees, is a meeting that happens now four times a year where we also, it's another way to bring people together. Um, and in this case, the city presidencies try and share feedback and elicit ways and also share good ideas to fix the local problems that they might be facing. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the initiatives and the many initiatives, of course, along with eliciting local, you know, feedback from all the COSA preps that we did to really bring people together. Not to mention, of course, COSA Gaming, which was the uh, much, much uh, known tournament in between the European schools we did, which was another way of bringing people from all 13 schools together. Mm -hmm. um, and do you think you're, uh, that you as a COSAP VP were able to have a more direct impact on students' lives than as a president of the student council? I think personally, this is, all, of course, my, my uh, you know, pure opinion. Mm -hmm. I think they're at an equal or similar impact in both roles. Um, I wouldn't say one was more, uh, you know, direct than the other. So, I mean, parts of it might be a bit more invisible. For example, you know, pushing to get more psychologists in the Brussels schools, the budgetary committee did approve a temporary increase uh, to that. So that students might not realize, huh, you know, there's a, a new part-time, there's an extra part-time psychologist in our school, that's weird. But it's one of the things that's there. And the truth is in COSOP, despite our best efforts to publish our work, and you know, put it all through. Not everything students won't, you know, want to dig in. Most of them just don't care. They're just like, do something. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of students have the feeling that we're not doing anything. And so they just are happy when anything's done. And the truth is, a lot of this is like, you know, goes back behind the scenes and discreetly. And so when you, when a change happens, many students don't even notice it. Mm -hmm. Now you've mentioned a couple of times this issue of school psychologists. Um, Creating jobs is one thing, but how do you kind of remove this taboo, which I think is present in many schools, to actually talk about these sorts of things and visit someone who can help you with mental issues? How do you do that? How can a COSAP rep work on that? That's a huge issue, but I don't think it's one for the COSAP rep. Um, mm. It's one for your local city presidency, in my opinion. I, I'm sure I'd get a lot of angry messages if I said this was one for the COSAP rep from a, a couple of old friends in COSAP. Mm. Because this is a, a local issue that's common to all the schools. And at least my opinion, the way we do this is through, well, changing the culture by having, say, period or two period meetings where the psychologist can basically say what they do, invite people if they want to. And another issue is even raising awareness that there even is a psychologist. I know a lot of people in, from the schools who weren't aware, they had zero idea that there was this route of mm -hmm. feedback. Um, 
And so simply saying, hey, guys, you know, there's this contact, because very often uh, they won't know or it's because the school doesn't advertise correctly. That's that's one of the ways to do it. Raising awareness by, you know, making presentations of the sort and uh, and changing the culture. All right. So now let's get to some more uh, current news within the schools. Uh, what do you think about the commentating on the Coastal Gaming Tournament? Uh, I think this might be a bit of a conflict of interests, but I personally, I thought it was fantastic. I uh, loved it every, every second of it, especially mm-hmm. because I was commentating myself <laughs> with my, <laughs> my good friend, Alessandro Bogo, who also graduated last year. Um, we were both commentators and we were even the year before. I always have a great time commentating and apparently people like it. So I think it was good personally. That's my, my biased opinion. All right. Now we've uh, talked about something which is quite nice. Coast of Gaming is really a great project. We've done some interviews on this podcast as well. Let's get to some more serious, not so nice topics. For example, overcrowding. This is something that we mentioned before we started recording. What can COSUP do against something like this? Or can even COSUP deal with this? We are ranting about this at every meeting of the Board of Governors. B- believe me, it's a huge issue. And they know, they're aware of it, especially... In the Brussels schools, not a, there is not a single school which is not overcrowded by at least 500 students in the Brussels area. Mm. Um, and that's why, I mean, they're building EB5. I'm sure you've heard the news that uh, it's a new campus being built. And truth be told, uh, it's behind schedule. The Belgian government in 2015 signed and sent a letter to the Secretary General and also the Board of Governors reps saying that they had the intent to build one for 2019. Uh, 2019 rolled around and the Belgian government delayed it to 2021. My year rolled around and the Belgian government delayed it again. Uh, And now they're setting it for 2025. Mm. But this time things have actually changed. They built a temporary site, a bit like Birkendal. I'm sure if you've heard about AB1, AB1 has a separate site as well. That's Birkendal is supposed to be temporary. It's been like that for many years. And they're building a temporary, they have built a temporary site next to EB5's construction area, which is going to be opening if it's not already open yet, um, very soon. And that can accommodate a thousand students, but it's only going to be for primary and kindergarten, I believe. So that doesn't help in the long run, because mm-hmm. then there's going to be four more years of, uh, you know, people, students joining, uh, which essentially it's going to be overcrowded again, and everything's going to be overcrowded again very quickly. So that's why there's EB5 being built. But according to current projections, um, if the students, if the number of students in the Brussels area kept increasing at roughly the same rate as it's been increasing for the last five years, the, if, if they open EB5 and they close down on temporary sites, the, all the schools would be immediately overcrowded again. So what is the alternative? They can, in 2025, open EB5 and keep one or both of the temporary sites um, still open. But then by, I believe, 2028 or 2029, what the, 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 I mean, the Office of the Secretary General, which is the executive of the European schools, did a study. And essentially, their study concluded that even if they kept all the sites open, by 2029, everything would be overcrowded again. So they'd have another four years to be build an EB6, um, which isn't even being discussed yet because they're still building EB5. Um, but of course, there's a group, a working group at the highest level of the European schools called the Brussels Steering Committee, which regularly convenes 
and they discuss this and COSUP actively pushes there. I'm sure you can ask the new presidency, Katie and company about this if you ever get them on, but that's where they really can push for it. Or the Board of Governors where we haven't repeatedly made statements and pushed and pushed the issue of overcrowding there. Not to mention overcrowding the other schools, Frankfurt, as you mentioned earlier, and a couple of the other schools as well. And especially with such issues as, as uh, overcrowding, it makes it all the more sad that um, issues like vandalism are such a big problem because we already don't have enough space. And if you're ruining that space as well, that really just kind of sucks. So now, so to the topic of vandalism, how do you think uh, we should deal with that? I mean, this this goes kind of out of the mandate of up and, and, you know, and CD because it goes into policing. Mm -hmm. it's like how should we deal with these people that are breaking the rules and making things worse for us and i don't think that's an issue for you know close up to uh to or myself even to you know give an opinion on that's more for the administration in conjunction with your local pc to figure out but people should just stop vandalizing the school i mean stop it's bad as you said it's already overcrowded enough we don't need any of this um, but I, I thoroughly doubt anyone who listens to this this podcast or this wonderful podcast is going to be the people you know vandalizing. So I think our target audience is the, isn't here, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, we also have the issue of cyberbullying, which was of course strengthened during uh, online schooling stuff. Um, is this again outside of the scope? Of no, COSA, this is definitely or? within. Yeah, well, COSA, oh. all things to do with bullying, student well-being, definitely within city. Um, now, how to fix that, honestly, I don't know. There's no easy solutions. Um, but for one, we need to make sure that there are resources that people can reach out to if that's happening to them. And so they can stop and end the correct situation. And also make sure that they know how to defend themselves adequately and make sure that this never happens to them. Um, because I mean, there's resources out there. There's your counselor, of course, but many people might not feel comfortable talking with a counselor. Uh, there's psychologists, there's a lot of resources. It's just a matter of getting the info out there, which that's up to you, the communication, uh, the PR branches of your CD uh, to do. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, now we're, we're trying to kind of stick to this 20, 30 minute mark. Um, so we'll just ask one more question and then wrap up. How should COSUP move forward in the future? Oh, wow, that is a big question and um, I'm, I'm certain that if anyone from the current COSUP hears this, they're going to absolutely murder me. But for one, I think COSUP should move in a more democratic direction because right now, most of the reps are elected in between, like amongst the CDE, by the CDE, which is democratic because CDE members are elected themselves, but it's a bit of an indirect form of democracy. Mm -hmm. And whilst it is, in a, you can arguably democratic, it promotes, it, in some cases, I don't want to point fingers, and I, at least in my year, I don't think anyone who was there was there wrongly, but it can lead to some kind of elitism in which bodies, you know, will vote for themselves in a CD. And that, and also it makes the mandate a bit weaker, and that leads to conflicts in between the CD presidency and the COSUP reps, because sometimes it's a bit fuzzy on who should deal with an issue. Mm -hmm. Is it the COSUP rep? Is it the PC presidency? And sometimes there's been fights. So to end that, we need to, in my opinion, they need to change in the future to make sure that COSOP reps are elected the same way the presidents uh, are by a general election in which everyone gets to vote mm -hmm. um, in secondary, of course. And that's one thing. 
Another thing I'd like to really see them is get a vote on the Board of Governors, but that has to, that's a long, long-term project because right now we are president of the Board of Governors. We can present things, we can, you know, debate, push things, lobby, lobby people to change their votes, which occasionally that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have a vote. Um, and that's something that's very important. And we've already mentioned that to the Secretary General in our year. And so we came to a, a compromise in which we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't push that year for a vote because it's a very complicated process, but they would they would uh, allow us to be present in more restricted meetings and more working groups. But for the future, it's something we should look into. Um, and yeah, so getting a vote, being more democratic, thirdly, reaching more people. So making more people know about COSOP through in local and system-wide initiatives. I don't know, for, I mean, for one of them, I mean, there already was one, there was a video that was made by uh, the COSOP PR team about how the European school system works. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Um, I'll link it in the description of the yeah, episode. During, yeah, during the class wrap elections, there's a, that's one way. But also some doing local stuff. For example, in the year before mine, uh, so in S6, the COSOP reps, they did a, a two-period presentation for people from S4 to S7 about what COSOP is, what they do, what they're working on, and if they want, had things they wanted to suggest. So at least those years got to know a lot about COSOP. And the year after, we did the same thing again, I think. Um, those kind of local initiatives every year to make sure everyone knows what it is uh, can really help. I think that's the, the, the real way to do that. So there needs to be more of that. Um, but then again, my opinion is only worth, you know, what people think of me because I'm no longer in the European schools. So I'll, I'll highlight that. And I'm only an alumni, so I no longer have any uh, stake, so to speak. I just want the best for the students regardless. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much for talking to us today. I uh, hope you had a good time. Oh yeah, love, love podcasts. All this right. is my second podcast experience, very nice. Uh, as a host or as a guest? As a guest. As a guest. Okay, then thank you again for coming on. Thank you for, uh, to our listeners for uh, listening to this episode of Eurocast. This is episode 13, unlucky number, uh, as Ellen said before the episode. Uh, if you have a story that you would like to share, uh, just message us on Instagram and we will see you on the next one.